Welcome to the Synaxis Podcast. A Synaxis is a liturgical gathering. It can also refer to an unveiling event. The Synaxis Podcast is a weekly gathering hosted by yours truly, Scott Jones, for the purpose of finding the life-giving healing word of the gospel and the words of the weekly lectionary passages. Join myself and a guest each week as we explore the lectionary text together. This is the place for gospel-rich, grace-saturated, and a properly worldly lens on the week's lectionary passages, all in 25 minutes or less. My guest is Jeff Holscott. He's the Affiliate Professor of Theology and Director of the Master of Arts in Theology and Mission Program at Northern Seminary. He also co-hosts with David Fitch, the Theology on Mission podcast, and he's the co-pastor of Life on the Vine Community Church in Greater Chicago. I give you Jeff Holstein. Jeff, welcome to the podcast. We just did a podcast together like last week. We did, and it was awesome. Yeah. All about the baptism of Jesus, and now we're talking about the first day of Jesus's ministry. Yeah, but first, let's go to the Old Testament lectionary reading, which it has some interesting tie-ins to the gospel reading, and maybe even to the to the epistle reading um, in some interesting ways. So, we got Jonah chapter three, verses one through five, and verse ten, where basically Jonah has been spewed out of the belly of the of the great fish, right, and now he's going to actually go to Nineveh and actually go proclaim this message that he's supposed to proclaim, which he was pretty resistant to at first. He was pretty evasive. And it's interesting because despite the fact that he is complying, right, it, it, seems, it seems like everybody in this chapter is still, like, dead, right? <laughs> like, like, you've got the dead preaching to the dead. Because Jonah doesn't seem like... It's not as though he's... He, it seems like he's really really into this. I mean, he's not, he's not thrilled at this point uh, for what, for where he's going. And, you know, he goes and he winds up preaching like a five word sermon to the, to the Ninevites. It's just like, wow. Sometimes you hear preaching like with people that like people love and you're like, gosh, how do people love that? This is like probably one of those instances, right? Where like, it's uh it's not necessarily the greatest, most eloquent stuff. I mean, it's, it's uh what does he say? He just says, um, he just basically tells them to repent, right? No, he doesn't. So, wait, I, or no, he doesn't. He says, "Get I, it." No, he says, "I love, he says, I love the book of Jonah." So, or he doesn't tell them. Right. He just tells. He just tells them forty days more, and then it shall be overthrown, and that's it. Yeah, not even repent. Just forty so, days more, <laughs> and things are going down. So you have Jonah, and then you know the theme of the gospel passage is repent for the kingdom of God is near, and then you have this kind of the form of the world is passing away in Paul, which we'll get to in a second. But I think I love Jonah. In the sense of like, it's the, it's one of the best like negative stories, like how not to be a follower of God. Uh, I always say if I was going to plant a church, I'd just start with Jonah and say, let's not do any of the things he did. But if we're to look, you know, I don't want to go all like super Hebrew on all of us, but like when Jonah is spewing out of the fish, he's given three commands, three active verbs, get up, go and preach the word. Get up, go, and preach. And then the narrator, he says... And, and fact, get, get up is also like what Jesus seems to say to people that are dead. Like yeah, when yes. Jesus resuscitates people, there's a, there's a getting get up language. Yeah, come forth. And so the, the narrator's emphatic. Jonah got up, and he went. Those two words 
are echoing the two verbs that God commanded him to do. But then we don't get the third one. We don't get that he emphatically proclaimed the message that he was given. We get different words for his sermon or whatever we're calling it. And so you actually get the sense that he probably didn't obey or deliver the message that God had intended him to give because the message he gives has no hope. You know, 40 days from now, you're all toast, right? But what happens is the people still repent, even without hope. And what does God do? He relents. And we know in chapter four that Jonah's really pissy about that, blah, blah, blah. So it's this really interesting negative example that even when we don't deliver the gospel to people properly or at all, God can still be at work to kind of create repentance in people. It's amazing. Yeah, it's interesting. Frank Lake references Jonah talking about the schizoid affliction and sort of just despair. And he says, the soul feels itself to be perishing and melting away in the presence and sight of its miseries by a cruel spiritual death, even as if it had been swallowed by a beast and felt itself being devoured in the darkness of its belly, suffering such anguish as was endured by Jonah in the belly of that beast of the sea. For in the sepulcher of dark death, it must needs abide until the spiritual resurrection, which it hopes for. And that's where it is interesting, right? Because it seems like he's, there's a sort of, he's like walking dead almost still. <laughs> yeah, like he's, he, he's, although he's, he's up and moving and he's out of the belly of the fish. He's, he's, it doesn't seem like he's in much better shape than the people of Nineveh. No, I agree. And this, not to go like ultra Protestant on us, but it really speaks to the efficacy of God's word. In again, in the passage, not all the lectionaries read the whole chapter, but you know, Jonah delivers this message, and then it says that this word kind of traveled all the way to the king. Now, Jonah didn't go and preach to the king. He probably didn't want to preach to the king because he didn't want the king to repent or hear about it or whatever. But it says that the word made its way all the way up to the king, and then the king repented. And so there is this kind of, and you also get this in the book of Acts, where halfway through the book of Acts, you start, you stop hearing about the preaching of the disciples and you just start hearing about the spreading of the word. The word spread all throughout the region. The word was spreading, you know, throughout Rome and things like that. And it kind of gets disconnected from the preaching of the disciples and things like that. I just think it's just very interesting about how those things fit together. Yeah, I think it is interesting. I think it's a very interesting, and it's probably, I would guess, like reader response criticism, whatever. I guess that the readers initially, when they're reading this book, are thinking, are are just as pissed that the Ninevites repent and are saved as as Jonah is. Right, right. Are sh- certainly shocked. Yeah, and probably. I mean, it's interesting too. Like this is, in, in somewhat sense, right? Like this is. N.T. Wright would say that this is kind of part of Jesus' message to to his people in the first century, like you're called to be the light of the world and you're kind of shutting the light, you're shutting the windows to the lighthouse, mm-hmm. you know, like this, this sense in which, you know, the, the presenting, uh, the, the wayward lost pagans who, which understandably as oppressors are, are, you know, there's reasons to be, to be resentful. And yet being swallowed by that resentment, you be kind of, you become as lost and dead as, as the oppressor. Right. And it's uh, Jonah in the, you know, in chapter four, that needs to be preached the gospel of God's compassion and mercy again. And he resists. And he, the, the whole book ends with the sense that he's resisting, you know, even to this day. <laughs> and there's that great line in this book that Charles Spurgeon loves, salvation is of the Lord. And there is the sense that God is the, is the main actor. You know, it's not, it, it's not sort of big cooperative project, you know, that's, it, it, it's God sort of, yeah, it's not, uh, it's not, it, it's death, and resurrection. It's it's raising the dead. It's not sort of uh, 
people that sort of need good life coaching going to the deity. It's people that are so lost that they're dead and they're risen. You know, when you're dead, you don't ask, hey, can somebody resuscitate me? <laughs> There's the sense in which, yeah, that's the nature of, of, of God as, as Redeemer. Yeah. Or so it seems. Jonah was a man, got a word from the Lord. Go and preach the gospel to a sinful land. But he got on a ship and he tried to get away. And he ran into a storm in the middle of the sea. Now Let's move on to the epistle, which you're preaching. I am. Week, I'm right? focusing primarily on the epistle. Uh, not that the gospel reading isn't amazing, but you get this. Uh, this is First Corinthians 7. It talks a lot about marriage, the unmarried, the status of single people, whether we should change our status, um, what that means. You get sayings from the Lord, sayings from Paul that are not from the Lord and these things. But the thing that really jumped out at me is um, verse 31. And how, uh, you know, he says, all these things are of the world, but the present form of this world is passing away. He says, for this world in its present form is passing away. Now, now you could take that a couple different ways. One is like kind of the ultra Gnostic kind of uh, view of many conservatives or fundamentalists that, you know, the world's going to burn, nothing's going to be saved, it's all going to dis- be destroyed, and... Uh, you know, torn apart and God's going to discard things and he's going to start over or something like that. Now, I don't think that's what... And that's why we don't need to worry about climate change. Yeah, that's why change. we don't have to worry about climate Actually, change. Actually, we've had, we've had Congress people say that in here. Yeah, so you don't have to worry about con- uh, climate change. You don't have to worry about social evils or injustices. We don't have to worry about uh, building an equitable society or something like that. Uh, we just, you know, we just need to save people from the sinking boat and then get them off to heaven or something like that. Now... So what I'm focusing on in in my sermon is that word form. It's that the form of the world is passing away. It's it's the the scheme or the pattern or the the way the world has been molded is going to pass away, and God's going to transform, remold the world. And so it's that process that we need to focus on. And so Paul is kind of saying throughout this passage, all these relationships that we have with our employment, slaves are free, married, unmarried. Uh, how do all these things that we feel are the most important aspects of our identity, they've been pressed into a certain mold, but that mold is going to change. And so whatever we're cur- whatever mold we're in, we need to disengage from that and re-engage according to the gospel, according to salvation, according to the kingdom come, which is the gospel reading. Uh, and so how can we live into this transformed, not discarded, but transformed world of the gospel that kind of puts into question all of our identities and all of our vocations um, and, and then sorry to go on forever, but the key point is, is he's talking about good things. Um, the good, not all good things, but he's even talking about the good things of creation uh, need to, in a sense, be um, left kind of open and for, for their passing away too. And so it's not just the bad things or sinful things. It's also the good things. Those things are all kind of um, suspended in the world or the call of the gospel. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. It's like I, Two thoughts come to mind here. I I was rewatching The Walking Dead, and there's this scene in uh, what season is it? It's in like season five, where they've sort of lost several encampments, you know, farm, the prison. They're they're just sort of roving, and they're pretty desperate, and they're like just sitting around the campfires. and And Rick said, you know, that he asked his grandfather 
who was in World War II, like, did you kill any Germans in World War II? And he says, that's not, that's grown-up talk. You know, that's not talk for children. And he said, well, did the Germans ever try to kill you? And he says, I knew the day I set forth enemy lines, I was dead. And so every morning, I'd get up and say to myself, rest in peace, you're dead. You know, rest, you're dead, no, rest in peace. All right, now let's go mm-hmm. to war. And a couple of years later, I realized I was still alive. <laughs> <laughs> and there's this, there's this death like this. And then Rick says, "Then the way we'll get through this is to live as the Walking Dead, right?" And, and in some sense, it's kind of a dark post-apocalyptic thing. But there's, I, I was reading somewhere recently that somebody was saying that that a friend had said that they loved the this line from their pastor's benediction that he said every Sunday. He said, "As you go, remember you live in a world where a resurrection happens." And so I think there's something about that, like that because everything happened, it, it, this, this, this sort of apocalyptic thing happened in the death and resurrection of Jesus, we can walk around living differently, right? Like we can die and rise. Um, and, and I think so, something about that just, that struck me what Rick was saying, you know, his grandfather and Walking Dead, that somehow in, in you know, in Second Corinthians, Paul said, you know, so just as, you know, all have, all have died, you know, like in Christ. And so part of, I guess, the orientation of the Christian life is realizing that your identity is bound up with the death and rising of Christ, which is you're saying, that's the shape of the, of, of the, of the passing away into something else, right? And so it's sort of, uh, you know, the hardest to learn is the least complicated, mm-hmm. say the, says the Indigo Girls, right? Like to constantly remember that that is what's most real and most true, not the sort of various glory stories and stories of human apotheosis and aggrandizement that we are constantly bombarded with. Yeah, I I totally agree. And a lot of times we we hear, we think of Paul as always focused on death. You know, I've been crucified with Christ and, you know, it's not I who lived, Christ lives in me. You know, at the beginning is of Galatians, you know, but at the end of Galatians chapter six, you know, he says, what is circumcision? What is uncircumcision? It's nothing. The only thing the only thing that is, is new creation. Like he really is focused on resurrection and new creation, like you're saying, and everything else becomes, um, in a sense, in a real, in a real sense, relative, relativized by the new creation that's coming. And our, like I said, like our identity and our roles, they all need to be crucified. And so when he talks about crucifixion and death, it's really just the manner. That's the manner by which we disengage from the things of this world so that we can live into the new resurrection the new creation, the new life, which for Paul is the whole, the whole thing. That's the main point. And so the form of this world is passing away. We can disengage, not be overrun with anxiety or fear. Like you said, we can live if we, as if we've died because we have in Christ. And now we can live. But there will come a time you'll see With no more tears and love will not break your heart and dismiss your fears get over your hill amen and now let's go speaking of christ let's go to the gospel nice transition there mark we have mark chapter one and here we have the calling of the disciples the famous you're going to be fishers of men or people uh anthropos that you'll be fishers of human beings um and they kind of that's a proposition that apparently sounds fairly attractive to the early disciples. <laughs> right. Uh-huh. It's just interesting too, an interesting contrast because you have you have um Jonah sort of a very unwilling fisher of people. <laughs> like and yet it seems that the uh the disciples here are willing to 
at least even before the death and resurrection of Jesus, it seems like in miniature they're willing to to experience some death of an old for an invitation to something new. Mm-hmm. And so they drop their nets. Yeah, there was... Sorry, go on. No, no, go ahead. Um, yeah. Again, you know, I'm just speaking out of kind of my own evangelical or church concept. I think a lot of times the call of Christ is... Um, we we send it out, we give it out as like a call to death or a call to something hard, of certainly which it is, or a call to say no to a whole bunch of things. But it's really a call to say yes. It's a call to the new thing of creation. It's called a God's kingdom come, repent and believe the good news. And it's a call for, you know, living with a different kind of purpose. You know, they had been living in the form of this world of catching fish. And so he doesn't abolish that form or that call in their life in one sense. He says, hey, but we're going to, we're going to press that into a new mold. You're going to, you're going to fish for people and they're going to be blessed by it. And you're going to be blessed by it. And God's kingdom is coming. So let's, let's get on with this work. And I think, can we have a gospel that's calling people into the goodness and the flourishing of God's kingdom? Or is it always so dour? And down, you know, that, you know, that for some reason, discipleship, you know, means that we're going to be full of sorrow. Of course, you know, it, there is, there is that, right? So I don't want like a cheap health and wealth gospel, prosperity gospel, but, um, but can we bring kind of the vocation and the joy of life back into it? It's interesting, you know, because when I think that when people preach about like die, I die daily or, you know, you know, we died ourselves, like, it's such an active sort of like, all right, here we do. It's not, we're, where it's like Capon talks about that stuff, Robert for Capon, almost tongue in cheek. He's like, well, you know, uh, there's only one way you get into the kingdom. The prerequisite is dead, death. And you know what? If you're honest, you're already dead. So there you go. <laughs> it's very, it's a very different, like for him, the, the realization is, is a much more passive one and, and almost humorous at one point because you only, it's only after the vain striving sort of stuff. It's only after the sort of, uh, self-flagellation kind of but where you're like where you're actually trying to sort of bring something to the table that you realize oh wow what i bring to the table is being dead and needing to be raised you know <laughs> that's sort of like so it's something that like it's 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 a, it's a very humbling thing i i feel like some of the kind of uh uh preaching you're talking about when it's conveyed that way is not humbling at all in fact it in, it invites a kind of pride and athleticism like okay yeah i could you know as opposed to uh, seeing the whole thing as a gift. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think what you're saying is right, that a lot of the dying that we need to do is like these internal monologues and dialogues and strivings. And it's really just like, if you could just let all that weird, sinful energy dissipate, that's what death is. And then you can get on with the real work of loving God and loving other people without getting in your own way. A lot of the call of discipleship is just to get out of your own way. Now, certainly there isn't, you know, social, cultural pressures, you know, living in a different way that, you know, you will be reprimanded or castigated or, you know, at least embarrassed for. So certainly there are those things, but, you know, when you really think about it, those are just internalized pressures that then, you know, that lead us into unfaithfulness and things like that. So anyway, perhaps we're a little off topic. I don't know, but uh, yeah. It's in- it's interesting too. Paul Zoll says, I've heard him say that what fishers of people hear me, if, if I'll make you interested in human stories. Oh, that's good. Like, like I'll make you like, which is interesting to consider that contrasted with Jonah who really has, I love that. I love what God says to Jonah at the end. You know, there, there are all these people. How can I not love this great city? It says that, you know, all these people and many animals. <laughs> I know. Yeah. 
You know, the, the beauty of like even the animals, like their story is so particular and precious to God. And it's a matter of indifference to Jonah. And I mean, I think Jesus is calling them to fish with him. And you see, I mean, these, these encounters people have with Jesus, these eye thou encounters in which they feel seen and known. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing I think is interesting is the way the gospel ends, right? Um, the women who go to the tomb, he, he has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place they laid him, but go tell the disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. So it's funny that the, the first witnesses to the resurrection are called to go tell the disciples to go back to the beginning where you dropped your nets and he'll be there. You know, it's like, there's this sort of, uh, yeah, you know, again and again. There's an again and againness, right, to the Christian life. Absolutely, and just to speak to the end of the the, the book of Mark, is I think um, there is kind of this circular nature to it. Just like you said, Jesus is calling us to go, or or the author is calling us to go back to the beginning of the story. Now read it all over again. Like now that you now that you kind of get the contours of the whole thing, now read it again, and then read it again. Go back to Galilee, you know, and then Galilee will lead you back to Jerusalem and then Jerusalem will lead you to death and then you'll resurrection and then you'll go back to Galilee again and you'll start over. All right. This is death and resurrection kind of process as we continue to learn how to follow Jesus. And that's what the call of epiphany is in one sense is to renew that call to Christ. And certainly it's going to lead us into Lent. Um, and that's part of it, but uh, can we receive that call to this new kingdom, new world, new creation? Well, Jeff, blessings to you as you, Proclaim these things. Amen. And to you. Out in Chicago. All right, my friend. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening to the Synaxis podcast. If you like what you heard, please go to iTunes, give it a rating, write a review, and subscribe or pass it along to a friend via email or say something about it on social media. All of those things help so much as we're just getting off the ground. Thanks to Jeff for coming on the podcast, and thanks again to you for listening. Thanks, my friends, and until next time, fare thee well.